Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. The book of Genesis. In the first video, we saw how chapters 1 through 11 set up the basic storyline of the Bible. God has created all things, and he makes humans in his image to rule the world on his behalf. The humans choose sin and rebellion, and so the world spins out of control into violence and death, all leading up to the rebellion and scattering of the people in Babylon. And so the big question is, what is God going to do to rescue and redeem his world? Well, out of that scattering at Babylon, the author traces a genealogy of just one family that leads eventually to a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12 opens up a whole new movement in the story. God calls Abraham to leave his home and go to the land of Canaan, which God says will become his one day. And in that land, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name great and to bless him. Now, these promises are connected back to earlier parts of the book. So Babylon had arrogantly tried to make a great name for itself, and that didn't go over very well. But God, in his generosity, is going to bestow a great name on this no-name guy, Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham echoes all the way back to that original blessing God gave humanity in the beginning. So the question is, why is God going to bless Abraham and his family? And the last line of God's promise makes this clear. So that all the families of the earth will find God's blessing in you. Now, this is key for understanding the whole rest of the biblical story. God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious world through Abraham's family. And this is why the whole rest of the Old Testament story is just going to focus on this one family, eventually called the people of Israel. This is also why Israel will later be called a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai. God wants to use them to show all of the other nations what he's like. And ultimately, this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets and poets who say that its fulfillment will come through Israel's messianic king, whose reign will bring justice and peace to all of the nations. Now, at this point of the story, none of that's clear. You just have to keep reading and watch the promise develop. And so the rest of the book focuses on Abraham and his family. First, Abraham himself, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. And the stories about each generation, they're united by two main themes. So first, each generation of Abraham's family is marked by repeated failure. They just keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and that put God's promise in jeopardy. However, God remains faithful to them. He keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them and bless the nations through them despite their failings. So the Abraham stories. God had promised Abraham a huge family, but on two different occasions, he's afraid for his life because other men are attracted to his wife. And so he denies that he's even married to her, which creates, of course, all of these problems. And not only that, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they can't have children. And so Sarah arranges for Abraham to sleep with one of their servant girls, which also creates all of these problems in the family. But each time God bails Abraham out. 
And in chapters 15 and 17, God even formalizes his promise to Abraham with an official commitment called a covenant. This is a classic scene. God invites Abraham to look up at the night stars and to count them. And he says, that's how numerous your family is going to be. And despite all of the odds, having no kids and no way to have any at the moment, Abraham looks up in the sky and simply trusts God's promise. And God responds by entering into a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will become a father of many nations, that God's blessing may come to the whole world. God asked Abraham to mark his family with a sign of the covenant, circumcision of all the male boys in the family. This is a symbol to remind them that the fruitfulness of their family is a gift from God. And so Abraham has lots of kids eventually, and he dies at a good old age. Now, the Jacob stories play out these themes even more dramatically. From birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name, which is deceiver. He cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance and blessing, and he does it by deceiving his old blind father, no less, and then he just takes off. He goes on to take four wives, even though he really only loves one, Rachel, and this creates all of these rivalries in the family. The only thing that humbles Jacob is being deceived by his uncle Laban, who cheats him out of years of his life. The tables have finally turned. And so it's a humbled Jacob that returns to his homeland. And in a very strange story, Jacob ends up wrestling with God as he demands that God bless him. Some things never really change, do they? However, God honors his determination and he passes Abraham's blessing on to him. And he renames Jacob as Israel, which means wrestles with God. Now, it's this last part of the book, the story of Jacob's sons, where all the themes come to a head. Jacob loves his second to youngest son, Joseph, more than any of the others. And he gives him this special jacket. And the 10 older sons come to hate Joseph. And so they kidnap him and they plan to kill him. But instead, they decide to just sell him into slavery in Egypt, where he ends up in prison. Talk about family failure. But God is with Joseph and he orchestrates Joseph's release from prison and Pharaoh ends up elevating Joseph to second in command over all of Egypt. And so Joseph saves the nation of Egypt during a famine. And he also ends up saving his brothers and his family from starving to death. And so once again, we can see the folly and the sin of Abraham's family is met with God's faithfulness, who subverts even the evil of the brothers into an occasion to save life. And this is actually what Joseph says right near the end of the book. He says to his brothers, you all planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to save many lives. Now, these words are strategically placed at the end of the book because they summarize not only the story of Joseph and his brothers, but the book as a whole. From Genesis 3 onward, humans keep acting selfishly and doing evil, but this God is not going to leave his world to its own devices. He remains faithful and determined to bless people despite their failures. You can see this especially in how that mysterious promise about the descendant of the woman gets developed throughout the book. So remember, Genesis 3, God promised that this wounded victor would come and crush the snake and defeat evil at its source. And the author then connects this promise directly to the line of Abraham. This is a part of how God's going to bring his blessing to the nations. 
Now from Abraham, this promise gets connected to Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. And this is how. In an extremely important poem in chapter 49, in aging Jacob, he's on his deathbed. He wants to bless his 12 sons. And when he comes to Judah, Jacob predicts that Judah will become the tribe of Israel's royal leaders and that one day a king will come who will command the obedience of all the nations and fulfill God's promise to restore the garden blessing to all of the world. And then after this, Jacob dies. And later, Joseph dies too. And the growing family remains in Egypt. And so the book of Genesis ends with all of these future hopes and promises left hanging and undeveloped. And it forces you to turn the page to see how it's all going to turn out. But for now, that's the book of Genesis. All right, so we've been in Genesis since October. Um, how crazy, amazing are those guys? They're very clever. Uh, and so this is the last week, the sum up. Next week we've got Vision Sunday. And then um, the following week, just so you know, heading us into Easter, if you want to get the jump on it, we're heading into 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Uh, but for now, um, we're just going to take some time uh, to just chat around the table. If you are not a chatter, then you know what to do. You pretend that you have an important text that you need to answer. And, um, and you get on that straight away because that person needs your answer um, and just eavesdrop on the conversation that's happening around you. Uh, but otherwise, chat in terms of what do you love about, what have you loved about the book of Genesis? Has there been a game changer as you've heard the book of Genesis? Um, or is, this, is there still a resounding question in you as it relates to the book of Genesis? Let's take some time now. All right, all right. All right. Is anyone else like a bit, you know, if you're an extrovert, it's oh, it's only a few minutes. But if you're an introvert, you're like, Ooh, it's only a few minutes. And it just kills you. Um, okay, we're going to put, Loco, can you put the text questions on the on the board? Um, the other thing is, is that I do not claim to be an expert in Genesis. Um, and so if you've got a better answer than the one that I give, shoot your hand up. And I'm happy to hand you the mic and you can hold forth. If you start to waffle, I'll grab the mic back. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'm, by all means, feel free to give a better explanation than what I do. And um, we'll like rate it after you speak as to who gave the best answer. Okay, Katie, where yeah. you go? So probably the most important question, um, who is your favourite child? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think we all know. Um, actual question, why would you name your kid Deceiver? It seems like a weird foreshadowing. Like, Yeah, okay. Um, so, um, Kate, you clearly weren't in the service when we talked about the... Okay. Um, so what happened was uh, that, that Jacob means heel. Um, and Esau means hair. So, so what Jacob did was he grabbed Esau's heel. And so it's kind of a double meaning in that the act of usurping, the act of, of, is actually to, um, and usurper is the word that's used as well, is that you grab someone's ankle to pull yourself up. And isn't that the very action of trying to get someone else's position? And that's literally what Jacob did his whole life. He steals Esau's birthright. Um, he steals his blessing. And, and right from the very jump, he, he starts out by holding his heel. Um, but, but they called him Jacob because it means heel. They weren't like, oh, Yay, we've got a usurper on our hands. Uh, but it, it ended up being a double meaning um, as well. Cool. Oh, anyway, yeah, just raise your hand. I won't ask every time if you've got a better answer. Um, Did Mike go to kids? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is from a text message. Um, why didn't God create a universe without the temptation of sin, thus eliminating the need for the sacrifice of Christ and all would go to heaven, given they'd be sinless? That's a big question, isn't it? Thank 
Thank you, whoever sent that one through. Um, okay, so this comes back to uh, a phrase that I love to use that is by my friend, the power and the sacredness of choice. Um, that God wanted to give choice. Uh, even Tim, what's his name from the Bible Project, talked about it at the start. That yes, he very well but could have done that, but where is the choice in that to serve him? Um, this is probably the biggest question that I had growing up. Like, Why would God create people knowing that, that they would turn against him, knowing um, that they wouldn't choose him? because he knew that some people would choose him. He knew that some would actually say yes to him and that the only way to have relationship is voluntary. Uh, if you have a um, relationship that's not voluntary, then that is that's servitude or, or that's something other than real relationship. So he gave choice to us. Now, you might look at it and go, God, that's not worth it. But God looks at you and says it absolutely is worth it. And um, it was a question that I asked my dad when I was um, heading into my teenage years and there were parties starting, start, studying, and they were starting and they, I thought, oh, I don't want to live this Christian life if I'm going to miss out on all that. Um, and so I was really making those decisions of which trajectory my life would take. And I said to dad, dad, if Jesus died on the cross, not a single person turns to him, would that have meant that it was all a waste of time and it was not worth it? And he said, yeah, but even if one person turned to him, he would have considered it worth it. And that then hit me as, oh, if I had have been the only one to say yes to him, he would have still gone to the cross. And so, yeah, while, while we might look at it and say the cost is too great, he looks at the cost of you and says the cost is worth it. Um, so, uh, Mike, uh, Jace. Um, there's a big question behind this one as well. Hang on. <laughs> I don't need it, that's right. Thank you, Ethan. Um, yeah, the bigger question behind this one, which I think is really fascinating, is uh, how much do we trust that God is ultimately good? Because if we can look out the world and go, oh, there's a bit of a mess out there, this is part of God's plan, and it is the best possible plan, right? This is the best possible plan. Can you believe that? This is the best way for God to, A, create a pe people for himself, and B, glorify himself. This is the best possible way. Now, it's a hard one to get your head around, but I love that about this particular reality. This is the best option. Jace is um, like a total answer of faith there, and I love that. And we, like, we would look at it and go, but I can see a different way. And that's humanity's failing right from the start is that we judge God. And we say, I can think of a better way. But um, Locke and I and Katie watched Avengers last night. And Dr. Strange did 14,605,000 calculations of what possible outcomes there could be and found one where they could win. And I was looking at it and going, oh, we are like, you know, by the way, Marvel's not real. But, um, <laughs> but looking at that and going, that's like God knows. Locke asked me the question recently, why didn't God just stop at a couple of hundred people if he wanted relationship? And I was like, that's a really good question, Lachlan. And, and I read in the Bible the next day, I'm not going to concern myself with matters that are too great for me. I'm just going to content myself to be in relationship with you, Lord. And so there are times that we just go with Jace and go, well, God, if it's you, it's the best possible plan. I don't need to necessarily understand it. So thanks, Jace. Gay? It's just, just the thought that God wants us to trust him. And if we trust him, then we make that choice to follow him. And that's the basis of what God's looking for, trust in him. And isn't the glory to God greater for 
if people trust him and turn to him rather than making a whole nation or whole world full of little servants that have no option. I just want to make that point. Great comment. Great comment. So on um, trust, choice and judgment, um, as God's people, are we caused, like, are we called to get circumcised and why, why circumcision? Like, it seems like a pretty private, private sign. <laughs> well, yes, Kate, we are. And so Daz has actually got a flint knife after the service <laughs> for anyone who's not. So that's a good. Um, no, Romans goes right into this and, and, and talks about the circumcision of our heart. Um, that, that, that was the sign, uh, but now it's not anymore. Now, if you think that back then, um, like you got, excuse me, you gear out a whole lot more than what you did now, and there was a whole lot, whole lot less of the clothing that we have, that, that it would have been a very evident sign um, in different times. And so it would be very quick to be able to recognise that that is what had happened. Why did God choose circumcision? A lot of men are going to ask him when they get to heaven, um, but I don't actually know the answer to that, Kate. But, oh, sorry, I can give you what some scholars think, and that is that um, one of the greatest things that we can do to be in the image of God is to create life. And so this is right... At, Oh, goodness, it's a hard conversation to have, but this is right at the tip of making life, right? And so, um, and so to, and also the blood of the covenant, uh, like to shed blood is, is part of the covenant all the way along and part of the ancient world. We look at it and go, well, why did Jesus have to die? But shedding blood was just a major part of life back then. And so shedding blood, recreation of life, all that kind of thing tied in together. Let's ask God when we get to heaven. Probably not top of my list, but it might be some. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Um, why? Okay, why was there so much weird adultery? Like, are you man. talking like Judah and Tamar? Okay. Yeah. Okay, again, so this is coming back to the creation of life. We looked at Judah and Tamar, I think Phoebe did in, in one of the weeks, is that um, I think his name was Onesimus. Can anyone verify that? Onesimus, or maybe that was a slave in Philippians, I'm not sure, but it was an, an Onan. Maybe it was Onan. Onan. Okay, so what happens is, sorry again to any teenagers, but um, Onan's responsibility is to give Tamar a child. That's welfare uh, in the ancient world, is that you have sons that then look after you. And so I Onan, um, so what's happened is Jim, Jim, uh, Tamar's married one son, he died. I think the next one did as well. And then she marries Onan. He's like, whoa, this, I'm not going to, I'm a bit concerned. No, no, sorry. He is the second son. And what he does, it says, the Bible says, is that he, he <laughs> so much like our world today, he enjoys, he enjoys the benefit of sexual relations without taking any responsibility. So he spills his seed on the ground. Now, lots of people take that as um, a, a, something that is bad, like to say that mas masturbation is bad. Um, we can talk about that another time. I don't think that scripture uh, points to that. It's that he's not taking any responsibility for what he's doing. And he doesn't um, impregnate Tamar. And so Tamar then, when the next son is supposed to marry Tamar, Judah, her father-in-law, is like, I don't want to lose any more sons. This girls he's probably thinking she's cursed or something. And so Tamar has to get somebody to take responsibility. And so she tricks Judah into sleeping with her. Um, she pretends that she's a prostitute. And actually what Judah says to her is, you did better than I did. In this weird adultery scenario, you did better than I did because you forced me to take the responsibility that God asked me to take. Um, I don't know that that answers your question. Let's say humans are messed up. Okay. <laughs> um, so 
on that, with like God in the Bible says like, you know, love is patient, et cetera, et cetera. Then in Genesis, you don't really like see that. Like husbands and wives are pretty dodge. Like he literally, he'll be like, oh yeah, you're not my wife. You're actually my sister. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so we have what, what we have here is this disaster at the start. When, when humans chose to judge God and say, we know better than you, God. And, and, and actually like that was the start. It says each of us have gone our own way. That was the descent into chaos for humanity. And then um, God gradually is pointing people to the resurrected Jesus from that point in history, from right then and there when he kills an animal to clothe them, from right then and there, then he's pulling everybody to show them the resurrected Jesus. And so from there, as we look at scripture, the journey and the history is all pulling them into a greater understanding of God. So in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we get the law and it gives very stringent um, protections for people. Uh, we would still look at it and go, that's so primitive, but it was actually revolutionary back then. Um, and then, but then we get into the New Testament after Jesus and, and it's all love is patient, love is kind and all that. So God's just grabbing what is broken and he's healing it all the way along until he makes it whole. And, uh, and, and, and that's why it wasn't applied back then because we're still in the chaos section. This is a question for like near the start. Was, was it actually a talking snake? Because I don't know about you, but snakes haven't really been talking to me lately. <laughs> well, you need to get out more. Um, um, Katie, um, okay, so this is a, for some people, this is a really sensitive topic. For lots of people, this is a poem. Uh, well, regardless, for everybody, it's a poem. The creation account is a poem. And so some people, that doesn't mean that it's not 100% literal because some of the greatest um, creative expressions of literal happenings have been in poetic form. One of my favourite poems is um, Dolce Decorum Est Patria Marie. It's like about the Battle of the Somme. It's the best poem and it's horrific. But because it's a poem, it comes out in so much greater emotive form. So just because it's poetic doesn't mean it's not literal, but just because it's poetic doesn't mean it's literal either. I would say let's not die on that hill. Like let's not get so concerned on whether it's literal. I know that some people are really, really concerned. God bless you. I know that some people are really adamant that it's not. God bless you. And let's come together over the fact that Jesus died for our sins and everyone who accepts him is going to live forever. Whether it's seven literal days or it's, you know, years or ages or anything like that, they're really good theories you know, God is so much higher than us. He knows so much more than us. We're not going to figure it out. Um, so this poem origin story could be literal and there could have been a talking snake. Who's to say that there wasn't? Um, but also might not be. Could be creative and a creative expression. And, and so if you're like, there's no way, that's ridiculous. Well, I'd say don't throw it all out just based on a talking snake. There's plenty of Christians who don't believe that that talking snake even existed. For me... I have no problem with any of this weirdness. Like, God is amazing. He can do crazy things. I've got no problem with there being a talking snake or a being in the garden or whatever it looked like or, or Judah, Jonah going in the whale for four or three days. I've got no problem with any of it, but nor do I really care. I'm not about to get on a picket line and talk to people about it. Um, similar question, I guess. Uh, was the flood global? How did they breathe and what did they eat? Because... Um, it would be really bad if a lion went and made the gazelle extinct. It's <laughs> true, Kate. Um, okay, so um, one, one theory is that the animals went into a deep sleep uh, for that period of time, possibly. 
Maybe um, Noah stored up a heap of food for them. The, another thing is that some people say that, that they were vegetarians until a certain point in time. Um, and so that would solve that problem as well. Uh, okay, in terms of the mountains, um, so obviously Everest, you need, you know, when I climbed Everest, mm -hmm. I needed assistance for breathing. Um, but, but perhaps Everest wasn't as tall as it is now. You know, mountains rise over time. Uh, so potentially it wasn't. Maybe as the sea increased, as the waters, you know, rose, they gradually adjusted to the breathing because Sherpas obviously can breathe up there in the Himalayas um, quite easily. Um, what else was there? What did they eat? Um, was it global? This is another one of those ones that lots of people would say. So they, they found fossils on mountaintops everywhere. It's pretty incredible. Um, science has, you know, kind of backed up this biblical account. But in Psalms, it says something along the lines of that you've never covered the whole earth with water. And so some people take that as there couldn't have possibly been a global flood. Again, does it matter? What's the point of the story? Um, if we look at the point, and I think I'd come back to that in all of these. What's the point of the story? Why, why do we want it to be literal? What is it in us? Like, these are really good questions. Do we need it to be literal? Why do we need it to be literal? What's the, what's the actual point? And does it being literal or non-literal affect that? And, um, and yeah, let's ask some of those searching questions. Kate, does it matter? Like, what's going on in you that you need there to be... Okay. No. I don't know, Mum. <laughs> I like this question, so I'm going to say it. Um, if Jacob means heel, how does this relate to the curse on the snake where it says that he will strike the heel? How does it relate? <laughs> I would say. <laughs> does anyone know how it relates? It, it might or it might not, um, but I don't know that it does. Uh, the, the Jacob's all about the deceiver. That is a really great question. I've never, ever thought about that before. Um, maybe. How about this? The line. Yes. For those on the podcast, Jace just said that that becomes Israel and the line, and that, that that's the lineage of Jesus, and the wounded victor then um, brings victory, possibly. And also, like, like, what about what if it could be that not only does God bring victory to our sin problem, but even our all, all that results from our sin problem, our selfishness problem, our desire to get ahead, our desire to be great, that he's bringing victory to all of that. I'm not sure, but maybe there is something in that. Okay, last question. Yes, we do need it to be the last one. Um, is this the best interview you've ever had? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Yeah, thanks heaps, um, Pastor Bron, for organising the video and the interview. And yeah, thanks to everyone who asked questions and input as well. Uh, before we wrap up, we just have a few announcements, um, and then we'll get into our Sunday. First, our prayer and fasting is just about to kick off. So on our link tree, uh, which you can access through QR code or on the chapelcollective.com.au website, um, you'll, you'll be able to find all the... Uh, information and, and all the things we'll be fasting about and praying for, specific prayer points uh, for each day. All of that can be found on Linktree. We'll also have prayer every morning here from Monday to Saturday at 6.30 a.m. Uh, so if you want to join in, you're an early bird, uh, early riser, you can come on down. 6.30, we'll pray every morning. Uh, we have Vision Sunday next week. 
Um, so our, our Vision Sunday, for those of you who don't know, we get to hear from our senior pastors, share and cast vision for the year uh, that we're going to pursue as a church. And I believe we have a, a video for Vision Sunday as well. So let's watch that quickly. Hi everyone, Vision Sunday is coming February 13th. Love you to be there and see what we're up to. You know what? I always want to be up for what God is up to. And so we as a church are coming together in all of our locations to hear from Bron and I and from your local pastor as we step into what it is that God is up to next. Love to see you there. God bless. So that is next week. Uh, we also have worship nights on Wednesday nights. So if you're creative, you can play an instrument or sing, and you'd love to use your gift here at church uh, for God, come on down on a Wednesday at 6.30. Uh, also, I know Daz sometimes runs twerking um, tutorials on a Wednesday night. If you want, come on down, join that, uh, be involved, and yeah, be part of our Sundays. Uh, we also have Student Connects launching this Wednesday at 6.30. So uh, I'm going to email out um, the whole church and, and let you know in, more info about that. But if you're in high school, you're 6 to year 12, uh, yeah, an awesome opportunity to not only have fun and run amok on Friday night, nights, but also now fortnightly we come together, Bible study and do life together. Uh, after the service, uh, we have prayer um, down here on my left, so we'll have a trusted team here to pray with you and for you. So if you want prayer uh, for anything, come on down to my left. Uh, we want to pray for you, so don't be shy. Uh, we'll be waiting for you. And the last thing uh, is to hang out. We still have the coffee going. We still have muffins. So hang out, um, chat amongst yourselves and enjoy. I'm going to pray uh, for our giving um, and then for you guys. Dear Lord God. Uh, I just thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come together uh, and, and come around your word, Lord God. I just pray that as we head out today and into our weeks, we just pray that, Lord God, you give us opportunities to, to show your love and shine your light, Lord God. Thank you that you've called us and uh, into the worlds that we live in, that there's people in our lives that you've put there for us to reach and uh, um, yeah, be, Lord God, be you too. Show you too, Lord God, and share your hope and share your love. So I pray, Lord God, for a blessing for... Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.